Welcome to Game On Business Talk Radio with your host, Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Our program is not afraid to discuss controversial business ideas and topics. Get ready for an unfiltered discussion of problems and solutions that today's businesses, large or small, face daily. Now, here's Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Hi, this is Game On Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We have an awesome show for you today. Get some coffee and have a seat. You're going to need a bottle of the seatbelt. This is Game On Business Talk on Nasty Syndicated Radio. We have a wonderful show for you today, and we have a wonderful guest to have our great show, actually. And our show today is on mental health, racism, and racial identity. Actually, racial identity at the workplace, but we'll shorten it. Our guest today is Dr. Bianca Crudup, founder of Crudup Psychological Services. And her background is she's a, she has a practice, Crudup Psychological Services, is a consult, excuse me, counseling practice based in Tampa, Florida. She has uh, in health and psychology, or health psychology rather, at the University of Florida in 2016. And she did a two-year residency in rehabilitation psychology at a veterans hospital. She has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology from the University of Mississippi. I want to welcome our guest today for our topic, Dr. Bianca Crudup. How are you doing today, Hello. Dr. Crudup? <laughs> I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Awesome. We've been wanting to get you for this show for a while. We've been having some uh, issues at the workplace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I want to ask you, um, tell the audience some about yourself and your background. They love to hear this, these type of things from, from our guests. So tell us something about your background, you know, your education, what you, you know, your areas of study. And also uh, you uh, have some work you do with academic journals. That's really interesting. So tell the audience something about yourself. Okay, well, um, I graduated from Spelman College in 2009, and so I started out in psychology, and I knew instantly that that was always what I wanted to do. And as you mentioned, I got my uh, master's and my Ph.D. at the University of Mississippi. Currently, I work full-time as a rehabilitation psychologist working with ALS and MS, and I decided to also have my own practice in the evening, and so working for about three hours in the evening following my full-time job. Oh, wow. Goodness. Awesome, yes, awesome. Yes, I stay very busy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I was so happy to have you for this interview because a lot of things have been going on in the media and a lot of things have been going on in the uh, in the uh, workplace most particularly in uh I like to, you know, I like the audience to understand um, what's your practice and why why is this important that we talk about mental health issues in uh, the minority community? What's your thoughts on that? So in terms of my practice, my practice, I work typically um, in terms of psychotherapy with individuals age 16 and up. And as soon as I opened my doors, I realized that there was a need for someone who was relatable to young black women. And they all came in with similar stories, issues in the workplace, and trying to figure out how can they remain authentic and still be professional and still thrive in the workplace. And I think that that's something that's important because sometimes we feel as if we're not being ourselves, and that can lead to mental health um, issues like stress, um, anxiety, depression, things of that nature. And that's what a lot of these young women were struggling with. That is really interesting. Wow. Uh, So uh, what's some of the current prevailing issues you're having to do with your practice in terms of minorities and women? I think you mentioned that. Uh, you've noticed some issues with uh, African-American women or black women at the workplace. And uh, could you elaborate on that more? What's some of the issues that you've seen in your practice? Absolutely. So um, are you familiar with code switching? Uh, No. Please enlighten me. What is that? So code switching is something that we do when we go into a different environment. Actually, a lot of African Americans do it naturally. And so when you're away from your family and your friends, you speak differently, you may behave differently. 
um, and just do things differently than you would if you were at home. And so a lot of the issues came from, well, if I'm code switching, am I really being my authentic self? Am I being true to myself and still um, thriving in the workplace? It seems as if I can't be myself, and so then that's a problem if I feel like I'm faking. But we've been doing it for years, and many of us don't even notice that we're doing it. But now with the upcoming, you know, really being proud of who you are, proud of being black coming back around, that's something that a lot of individuals were struggling with. So so what you're saying, uh, Dr. Crudup, is that we all tend to get into coding. Yes, and I understand it as well. And so we change the way we speak, our behavior, or is it much deeper than that? What's been your experience? I would say that it's deeper on a level in the sense that we have to hide, in the sense, who we are. Who we are with our friends is different from who we are with our family members. Who we are with our family members is different from who we are with our coworkers. And whereas in the past we really looked at it as a sense of survival, we did it to survive in the workplace, Um, now it's seen as, well, am I really being myself? And I think it's really just a different part of you, but it is um, exhausting being on all the time, feeling as if you have to watch what you say, watch how you say it. Like I remember um, being in grad school, and I said something to my um, graduate professor, and he was an older white man, and he told me, if you leave here speaking that way, people are going to think you're ignorant. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so wow. I really had to change how I spoke and become very articulate. Like even here in Tampa, you wouldn't know that I'm from Mississippi because I hide my accent. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know people in Mississippi tend to talk slower. Uh and I've been told, I live in Texas, and we made a lot of y'all slip, and I was told that I don't sound like I'm from Texas. They say I sound like I'm from California. And I didn't realize that I sounded that way. I just talked the way I talk. But uh, that's really interesting because I've seen um, black people are very interesting at the workplace. When someone talks in a heavy ethnic manner within our community, and you get a person who's trying to change their code, they don't either they don't want you to interact with them or they give you that look. And do you deal with that a lot with your clients? Like um, a black person wants to see if you down or you walk or that type of thing. And the talk, are you are you like them? Are you similar to them? Have you seen that with a lot of your clients? Absolutely. There have been times where, you know, they, they want to test you, but then there have also been times where they don't want to be associated with you because of the whole, well, birds of a feather flock together or, you know, well, oh, no, we can't have too many black people together at once or it may be an issue. As I call it, it's a code black. So you have, if it's more than two black people together at one time in the workplace, people start to look suspicious. And it's interesting that as a whole, Um, As humans, we tend to flock to those that are more like us. And so white people, more so than not, they are surrounded by other white people. But when we do it in the workplace, it becomes a threat. That is really interesting. I had not thought of that. And is that a derivative of slavery? or Where does that come from? Um, I think it does. I think that's the, the culture as a whole that from slavery, we've been taught that black is bad um, or black is threatening. You know, if we were to, especially as a young black woman or a black woman in general, if she were to just go around with a neutral look on her face, someone would ask her, what's wrong? Why do you look angry? And that just may be her neutral face, but we have to go around and smile or have at least somewhat of a, a smile so that others aren't threatened so that we can seem non-threatening because the moment that we speak up or we say something, we're the angry black woman or the angry black man. 
I really detest that term, and I've dealt with that when I was a professor at the university. I really detest that term. It was a, a situation at the university I was teaching at the last one, and there was a it was an African American professor, and you know she was black, and uh, there was a meeting where she was being discussed, and that word came up. And you obviously you know the people in the room were non-black that said that. And they called her the angry black female. And I that term, I think it's a stereotype that we need to put to bed. It's like the stereo, other stereotypes, you know, that we had. And tell me your experience with people that try to try to uh, put that tag on black women at the workplace, because I really detest that term, angry black woman. Well, I mean, please share us your thoughts on that. I really think those individuals are threatened because we have to appear non-threatening. As a whole, we're, we're known for our strength. We're known for, you know, persevering and, and just pulling through. Well, we can't really let that show that much at the workplace, or we can't be passionate about something or even get upset or frustrated with something and express that because then we have been marked instantly. Even if it's something that our counterparts would get upset about, we can't display that type of emotion. We have to be more reserved and hold back. And a lot of times we even tell we're mentors to younger black men and women and we tell them the same thing. You know, make sure you do this, make sure you you don't rock the boat. You know, say what you think, say what you believe, but don't say it too strongly. Be careful of how you say things. And so we're still passing it down because as a whole, you know, the system is built against us. It never was built for us. Man, that is very interesting that you brought that up. And uh, the situation that I was referring back to, because you, you, you really, really touched a nerve when you said angry black woman. And that's a really unfair stereotype. It's an unfair stereotype because it's saying that anger is only endemic with black women. Hispanic women get angry. White women get angry. So I see that as differences in how people react to an angry white woman as opposed to angry black women. Have you have you shaked, um, dealt with that with some of your clients? Because that's obvious. That's very obvious. Uh, there's a there's a race standard there. What's been your experience with that? My experience has been that that's something that um, some of my young black women have experienced and trying to help them navigate the waters. Even for me as a psychologist, it's difficult to try to really advise them in some way because I then become a little protective because I think that there is a certain way that you have to act until you have demonstrated that you do have the knowledge, and yes, I should definitely be here. I'm not just a token, um, but that has to take time. You can't just go in and really just be more um, forceful with your words. You really have to come in with more of a calm demeanor. And so talking to them about balancing that and being able to finesse what you say I believe Winston Churchill said you have to tell someone to go to hell in a way that they look forward to the trip. So you have to really finesse what you say. Oh, my. That, that was an ear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Goodness. <laughs> but uh, you raise an interesting point because um, that stereotype, can actually affect your advancement in a company getting tagged that angry black woman. I think it's a really unfair uh, uh, moniker, to be honest with you. And the the reason that I say that, and, and again, jump in anytime you feel you need to, Dr. Crudo. Um When you say angry black woman, you're basically putting a putting a, 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 a label on somebody, okay? And once they put that label on you, they're almost like marking you. Uh, we would promote her, but she's an angry black woman. Now, do black women have a right to be angry about some of the things? Absolutely. You're getting passed over promotion from somebody who has doesn't even have the fourth of a tal the talent that you have. That would make anybody angry. 
I guess being angry and expressing it is, I think, the point you're trying to make. Being angry and expressing it is two different things. Is that right? Correct. You can be angry, but it's how you express it and what you do with it. And I think before you even walk in the door that you're marked, you're being watched more closely than than your counterpart. Um, It's almost as if they're, you know, individuals are waiting for something to happen, waiting for you to perpetuate the stereotype. That is so interesting. I also remember by this particular colleague as a friend of mine, um, I met her. I never knew her to be angry. I never saw her that way. She was very even-toned, like you said. You know, she was calm. And I believe when they actually tag someone with that term, uh, African-American or black woman that with that term, it's almost saying that uh, they don't like that black person, so they're going to give them a name. And they can't say the N-word because that would be a good thing to do. So they come up with these, I guess, these cold words. Would you consider angry black female a cold word in the workplace? Um, I think it could be um, a potential cold word. I know that when I was um, working as a resident, I was told by one of my mentors that I needed to fix my face. And oh, wow. <laughs> before that, I had no idea, like, what what someone was, was referring to. But essentially, you know, he was very open and honest with me and said, well, the look on your face just says the B word. And I was like, really? wow, okay. Um, and so then from there on, I realized that I really need to be conscious of, of my face because I didn't want to be labeled. And he essentially told me that, like, you don't want to be labeled as that person. Goodness. Was this a mentor? <laughs> it, was a, it was a mentor. And I, was, I was angry at first. I really was. I was very angry, but I had to, I had to hold it in. Oh, my. This is going to be an interesting uh, show today. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hold that thought. We're going to take our first break. We need to take our break. We'll be right back. This is Game Mom Business Talk with D'Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game Mom Business Talk with D'Anthony Miles. Let us continue our discussion on uh, mental health, racism, and racial identity at the workplace. And we have our wonderful guest, Dr. Bianca Crudup, founder of Crudup Psychological Services. Let's piggyback on what we were talking about. Your mentor pulled you to the side and said you need to fix your face. My uncle told me something similar. He said that, and tell me if you agree with this, Dr. Crudup, because we, you, you, you sound like you've been, you've been, you got some experience with this. My uncle used to tell me, Except the problem with black people on the, at the workplace, I'll never forget my uncle telling me this, is their facial expressions say exactly how they feel. And he also stated mm-hmm. that you have to learn how to smile because it tends to disarm white people. And I was like, man, I'm not smiling. Well, you better get out of here because I immediately took offense. I need to be a Uncle Tom McCoon by saying that, and really he wasn't saying that. What he was saying was, you have to play you – you your face has to be a mask. doesn't represent how you really feel. Could you elaborate on how you, how your thoughts on that? I think that is absolutely true. Um, in, a, in a way, again, it kind of goes back to that idea where you have to appear non-threatening. And so smiling when there's really nothing to smile about, but it does disarm others because – there's also, like, if your neutral face is angry, then everyone's on edge. Oh, my gosh, like, what's, what's happening? Why do they look that way? Or it could be that it is generally, um, genuinely neutral and they can't read you. And people get really uncomfortable when they can't read you. Is that a so poker face or is that just no expression? Which one is that one? <laughs> I would say that's more of the poker face. Wow. More of your poker face. People get really uneasy when they can't read you. But if you're smiling, it, you know, it basically insinuates that, that you're good, that nothing is wrong. When if you just have your poker face, that doesn't mean anything is wrong. But because individuals can't read that, they don't know how to interpret it, it becomes an issue. 
that is really interesting that you brought that up. I, I want to share something else with you. Uh, a lot of times, and uh, it goes back to the concept of coding that you talked about, African Americans have to play a duality in everything that they do. Every place they they are, they have to they have to be adapt. I think I heard I think an actor say this: learn how to adapt. And I remember one of my colleagues used to say this: learn when to be Kunta and learn when to be Toby, because you can't be. Mm. It's a role that you have to play. That comes from roots. Obviously, I'm a little older mm -hmm. than you, but you have. To I got that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting because that could cause uh, confusion. You, maybe you forget where you are because I remember one of my friends had made a comment about this. You know, we have controversies in the media. The person at work or a person of another uh, ethnic background that comes up to a black person at work, ask you about what your thoughts is to see if they can figure out what type of Negro you are. Are you a militant mm -hmm. Negro? Are you a, a symbolist or that type of person? And and uh, that's another issue where you have to really, really get into the coding. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because that happens all the time. Case in point, the situation with Gail King and uh, Kobe Bryant mm -hmm. and all the fallout from that. And a person at work wants to see your mindset and ask you, well, that Gail King, I thought she was a great interviewer. I don't see what the problem is asking about Kobe Bryant. What do you think about that, uh, Ron? How does a black person act in a situation like that? I think it depends on where they are in their career um, and uh -oh. how, this is going to sound bad, <laughs> how secure they are in their position. Because there's a way where you know that you are more needed than you need that job. And so okay. you can very well say more of what you want versus what you think you have to say. So there's ways where you may sidestep it and say, oh, I didn't see it, um, you know, have more of a neutral stance, or just tell him exactly, you know, the individual exactly how you feel, but you have to be political about it and be diplomatic so you can say what you want and say how you genuinely feel, but there's a way that you have to go about it, and that goes back to that having to be on all the time and why it's so exhausting because you have to figure out a way to say that so that you still seem like you're cool. Isn't that a dilemma that we all have at the workplace? <laughs> that is mm -hmm. a heck of a dilemma because uh, – now, they have a term. Uh, I know you talked about the angry black woman term. Do they have a term for black men that they that they try to label them? Do they call them the angry black man? Do they call them dangerous? Do, do you know of a term that they call black men at the workplace? Uh, it, what is it? Is it the militant black man? Oh, man? oh, oh, wow. Goodness. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. Oh, wow. I would say it's even worse for black men because, in general, for some reason, our black men are just more threatening, I guess, because he's, you know, a male. But that becomes more threatening. But then I also think that colorism plays a role in it as well. Man, that is so really interesting. The more fair skin, yeah, the more fair skin you are, you may not seem as threatening versus someone who may be darker skin. Now, I got to ask you this. Now, this goes right along what we're talking about. In uh, a lot of a lot of African American males relationships. And one of the things I've noticed this in my career working in a corporate uh, arena when they bring their spouses to the Christmas party okay, they're either very guarded or they don't bring their spouses to the Christmas party because they don't want, I guess, the people at their job to know they're married to a non-black person, maybe a, a person uh, that's, you know, a Caucasian, a European culture. And mm -hmm. that brings a whole other can of worms of problems. When you deal with clients that deal with those type of issues, how do they play that role at the workplace? Because that could be career suicide, couldn't it? Um, it could be. I think that as a whole, the black community frowns upon it more. Of course, obviously. Of, yes. Right. And so then that can then disrupt relationships that you may have with individuals that are 
like you. And so mm-hmm. I think that they sidestep it by keeping private home life, keeping mm-hmm. that private, and then keeping work life, work life. I think that that's something that a lot of um, black people do actually really well is keeping their home life at home and keeping their business and uh, work life at work. Yes, and, and I remember my dad used to tell me this at the workplace. He used to say, um, don't ever date a woman of another color <laughs> at work because that's going to bring a whole bag of other problems, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and and I believe what you're saying, uh, uh, Dr. Crudup, is we have such a clash of culture at the workplace that mm-hmm. uh, because we're getting more diverse, and because we have more people that are non, uh, I say non-white uh, entering the workforce or entering the workplace, that we cannot keep recycling these stereotypes and these these uh, names, these bad monikers to people like the angry black woman. Say to an Indian woman that's angry, that, that's an engineer that works at a job. What do you call her, the angry Indian woman? Do you see well, how you know it's how that's problematic? What's your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's the the part that's unfair or unjust is that it's just, it seems to be just us, that we have these negative connotations. And um, I remember that my brother said a long time ago that the one way that we'll, he may have stolen it, but the one way to end um, racism is to continue having these mixed relationships where you end up with no true race everyone is just a mixture of everything oh good luck with that (laughs) good luck with that (laughs) oh bye i have to respectfully disagree on that one (laughs) well it's happening more and more well here's the thing here's the thing that's fine and good until a racial incident happens Okay, like, just go back to the Gail Oprah thing with the Kobe Bryant. A lot of people saw that as a double standard. And they're, they're, the, the thing that's, I think that upset a lot of people, because this is right along with mental health and what you talk about, is there's a certain time and a place that you ask questions. And you got half people that supported uh, Miss King and half people that didn't support her. Okay, mm-hmm. and case in point, um, you ever have any prior interviews with any other people, and did she ever behave the same way, or was this just the exception to the rule with, with you know, with Kobe, you know, and the tragedy that happened to him? Was that was that something that she always done, or was that something she just did for him? And tell me your thoughts on that, because I love to hear them. Oh my goodness, let's see. Do I even want to get into that? I, Just I approach it from a mental health perspective, <laughs> you know, you know, people I, on the edge, you know. <laughs> it, individuals, like, they feel pressured to, to ask certain things. And uh-huh. I honestly don't know what her, her intentions may have been, but it did cause some discord in our community where many of us were split on, on how she approached the situation. That's really interesting. Uh, it's it's almost like when you're African American, you have different set of rules that you have to play by, and that's uh, at work, that's in any profession, and it's almost like we're not free because they expect they we have so many restrictions on our behavior that if we act the way a non-black person acts, we may get criticized more. And the non mm-hmm. the non black person can act like that, and nobody bat an eyelash. What are your thoughts on that standard that we have to deal with in the workplace? What are your thoughts on that, Doctor Crudup? Oh, I absolutely think that that's something that's standard that we have to do. We can't we can't be like everyone else. We can't express ourselves like everyone else. We can't you know, do things that everyone else would do because we then would get penalized for it. Like even if we wanted to, let's say, something as simple that's been coming out is wear your natural hair. That then becomes something different in the workplace versus, 
you know, our counterparts, they come to work every day with their natural hair. Sometimes it may be wet coming to work, but if we did that or when we do that, it becomes an issue. Wow. I had not considered that. Oh, that's a definite, definite uh, issue as a, as a, a hairstyle. How do you tell someone of a different ethnic uh, background how to wear their hair? Most, uh, some African-American women don't have perms on their hair. They wear their hair natural. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them don't like to wear perm. Uh, damages their scalp. Uh, they don't like wearing their hair like that. And there's another thing that seems to be going around at the workplace with this thing about uh attacking people with dreads. What are your thoughts on that? That seems to oh be the thing goodness. now. Yes, it's that and twist. Um, it's some. I have no idea what the problem is now that I think it's that more and more people are doing it, and so mm-hmm. it becomes, you know, scary or whatever. Like I know I have individuals that have um, reported that, their counterpart or someone at work would say, hey, when are you going to cut your hair? Or what is what is this? Why did you decide to do this? Why are you changing? Mm, mm, mm. Wow. And it may be that old switch up that they're afraid of. You know, are you becoming more of a militant um, black man? <laughs> what does that mean nowadays? Does that mean if you were Afro? Does that mean? <laughs> because you know, they they think it, it's like you're in the Black Panther, so it's like, uh oh, hold on. You know, I always say this. I I know you agree with me on this. Some people really need to update their stereotypes. Uh, mm-hmm. If you wear Afro, black people laugh at you because it's so out of touch. It's so out of <laughs> out of season. <laughs> but exactly. They definitely need to understand that cultural identity is a big issue, and you bring that up in some of your research. And could you uh, go over to the audience, what is cultural identity to you? Well, what does that mean? If you explain to the audience, what does cultural identity mean, or I, racial identity? Is that the correct term? Mm-hmm. So racial identity has to do with not only how you identify, but how you interact with those of the same race or similar race um, and how you interact with the culture and how others react to you as being someone of that race. Wow. And now, there's oh. another issue with uh, racial identity, and I don't know if you've heard this term, where you have some black women who you can't tell what their ethnic background is, so they call them racially ambiguous. They could look mm-hmm. Indian. They could look Puerto Rican. What has been your experiences when you deal with uh, African Americans who, you know, tread out between, I guess, physical cult, uh, physical characteristics where you can't tell that they're black? What's been your experiences in deal- uh, dealing that with uh, some of your clients in your practice? I think it's something that causes um, what we call cognitive dissonance because it's one way you want to be true to who you truly are, your racial identity, but then in another way you want to not necessarily have to deal with all the crap we have to deal with. It kind of reminds me of back in the day when an individual could pass, right, when they could pass someone who may have been white. And so it's something similar to that now in that you struggle with really wanting to identify with your people, whomever they may be, but then you also, by the same time, you don't want to struggle. Now, when you have someone that uh, that uh, plays the passing game, is that a form of coding in your experience, uh, Dr. Critter? Is that a form of coding, being able to interact between different racial uh, groups at work without being detected as being, say, black? Is that is that a form of coding as well? I don't I don't think that's a form of coding. Like that's a complete switch up. You go and you live that that new identity and yeah. you really take it all in. Now if there is some dissonance about it where you are struggling mentally with being who you are but representing someone else, then yes, that's that's different but and that's more of the code switching. Wow, that's interesting. Goodness, time for our next break. I don't want to stop. This is a great show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, right, we're taking our break. Uh, hold that thought. Uh, this is Game by Business Talk with DNC Miles. We'll be right back.
Hi, we're back. This is Game on Business Talk with DNC Miles, and uh, we're uh, having our discussion on mental health, racism, and uh, racial identity at the workplace. And we are Dr. Bianca Crudup, founder of Crudup Psychological Services. Uh, Dr. Crudup, you were talking about uh, the issue of being uh, racially ambiguous and passing. And uh, some of the clients that you deal with, have you had any fallout from that? Has that caused mental uh, illness or mental issues for them? Being, uh, I guess, racially nebulous, is that the right word you want to say? <laughs> um, absolutely. And so it, it causes more of what I would consider, you know, sadness and depression because whenever there's a disparity between how we feel and what we do, we experience some type of emotional turmoil. And oftentimes it is depression because you know who you are and who you want to be, but then at the same time you want, quote, unquote, an easier life. You want this life where people see you as someone different um, versus who you truly are. And so it's a balancing act like, well, what, what do I do? And sometimes you get so deep into it that, it's hard to, to change because then people want to know, well, why are you being different? Interesting, interesting, interesting. And I know because of, uh, you know, you have, because uh, black people have a spectrum of color, they can be chocolate like me and be all the way pale if they're a black person, and you would not know that they're black until you hear them talk. And one of the things mm-hmm. that they deal with in terms of uh, uh, the racial identity is, do they lose sight? I mean, this is a better question for you. Do they lose sight of what their culture is, and uh, and they also adopt a cultural belief from the dominant society? Has that have you seen that with some of your uh, clients? What's your thoughts on that? I haven't seen it with any of my clients, but I have seen it before, um, where you completely just disown your own racial identity and your own culture, and you adopt or assimilate to another. Um, And honestly, I think it's quite sad, but then sometimes you have to think, well, you know, how could you blame them considering some of the things that are going on in in the media? Um, It's easy to say yes because, you know, you want everyone to fight the good fight, but some people just aren't built for it. That is really interesting because – there's also been issues of people at the workplace when, uh, and the reason I brought this up as a question to you about adopting uh, beliefs and uh, 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 ideologies from other groups, like that person, uh-oh, there we <laughs> that person that adopts those philosophies actually become a little bit, a, I would say, uh, they Let's, I'll, I'll use these words. They become more conservative, more uh, more uh, right wing, because they adopted their racial identity identifies with, uh, say, uh, a, a Caucasian or European uh, racial uh, identity or racial belief system. What is what's your thoughts on that? Have you seen that a lot? I've seen it some, and it's almost as if they those individuals truly think that they are a part of this that that new race. They really take on the persona of those individuals. What's, what, oh, go ahead. Act, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. And start <laughs> to act in that way. Um, and truly, after a while, you know, you can lie to yourself so much that you start to believe it. Wow. That is really interesting. And uh, have you seen it more with women or more with men? Like, let me get this up again. You remember what happened with the, uh, uh, you know, the Gail King thing, and then uh, I believe Susan Rice got involved. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is um, people were on the edge about that whole situation, and but it kept going back to, if this person were this color, would you have asked that same question? And I think it goes back to somewhat to coding what you were saying. Coding can be across different uh, sectors and against uh, across different situations. Do you see that as a as a um, I guess a byproduct of coding that particular situation? 
with the Gail King, uh, Snoop Dogg uh, situation. What's your thoughts on that? Um, well, the first thing that I wonder, because I, I followed it, but I didn't follow it very closely, was that, you know, did she come up with the questions or did the network do that? Right. Because then that comes, that then is a different scenario. That is a different situation versus if she created those questions and she decided to ask that, then it's like, well, why, why are you asking that and why are you asking it now? But then if the network did that, it's something as if, you know, wondering, well, why do you want to present this person in such a light? Now that he's no longer here, when he's accomplished all these other great things, there's so much that you could talk about. Why talk about this? That is an observation because um, uh, let's, take, let's take a situation, same people, excuse me, same situation with different people. The Bill Cosby situation, he obviously got arrested and he was convicted, and there seemed to be a media war where saying he was a bad person. And then we had Harvey Weinstein that got, I guess, he was found guilty from a jury. And it didn't seem like it was the same fallout. Was that your observation as well? Because that was mine. Tell oh, me what your thoughts on that. Mine. Like, it, again, that goes back to the, to the whole idea that we can do what others do. We are punished and we are um you know, prosecuted to the nth degree. And that's not to say that neither of them should have been prosecuted, but the fact that this person who has presented himself as a good person, he is known as like the black father figure, now they try to dismantle that. They try to bring that all the way down and discredit his work when I don't know if that's something that we can – particularly do. That is a very interesting observation because in, uh, I, I definitely would agree with that. One of the things that I did notice was it just seems to be a pattern in the media for me. When a black person does something, however petty it is, a crime, it seems to get so much more media coverage. And then if you weren't, if you're an alien picking up a signal, Earth signal, you would think that black people are the most horrible people on the, on the earth. Mm-hmm. And and uh, white people don't do anything. If they commit a crime, maybe uh, they, were in their, they weren't in their right mind. And that, you know, the media can, the, the media definitely polarizes us to racial issues like that. And what I think the reason that I really enjoy you having you on the show is because that's a mental health issue, isn't it? The racism mm-hmm. and uh putting people in categories and stereo. And uh, uh, tell me your thoughts on that. Uh, do you think I mean, uh, black people are, are criticized more in the media for petty things oh, or definitely. serious things? I think it's to perpetuate that whole idea that we're a threat. And wow. it has to be some type of way to keep us from, um, from to keep us inferior when you think about the news, one of the reasons I stopped watching the news was because of how biased it was. On the news, if there was a white person or, you know, a non-black person that committed a crime, they don't show their face. But if there's a black person that created that committed a crime, they automatically show their face. Oh, wow. I had not thought of and, that. Interesting. Yeah. It has happened for years that they may not show that person's face for privacy or whatever the case may be, but the black person is shown on television in the worst possible light. Wow. That is really interesting. I I want to ask you, piggybacking on that, have you seen that with jewelry makeups, where people bring their biases sometimes? to juries to find, you know, I think our court system is so messed up with with, uh, the scourge of racism, and racism is definitely a mental health issue, and you bring that to every sector of society that you deal with, especially with the the court system or the the judicial system. Case in point, is that why it's critical 
white jury, that you can't have an all-white jury if there's a black defendant or, or in those situations. Tell me your thoughts on that. Oh, definitely, because those biases come in even if a, pa- a person really may not be aware of it. And I will give some individuals the benefit of the doubt um, because it has been embedded in our culture for so long. And so you are trained to think a certain way. And even as minorities, we have been conditioned to think a certain way. Um, And so when you have an all-white jury, it's hard for them to – it's hard to get different perspectives. I think that there should always be a diverse jury. Oh, I totally wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, I – when we have a court – a major, you know, media – circus with the court cases, racism is always in the forefront. And uh, the Trayvon Martin case with the, with the that was that speaks to what you just said. It was almost like, well, okay, he's guilty. Uh, look at him. He, they posted pictures of his, his Facebook uh, pages or whatever. Spoke, he was being a mannish 15-year-old kid. Did he do anything mm-hmm. other than uh, what a normal 15-year-old kid does? No. But he was held to another standard because, you know, you know, you talk about the, uh, the term what you said, an uh, angry black woman. I believe the other term is uh, when it's not in a non-workplace, they call black men thugs. That's almost like mm-hmm. a, a euphemism for the N-word. Tell me your thoughts on that mm-hmm. because definitely I can see your work being involved with uh, helping people select juries, especially if more equitable case. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, most definitely. That thug word, I can't stand it. I hate it. Um, another thing, when someone that is non-black says, oh, it's in the ghetto. Well, oh, wow. what, what, does, what does that mean? First of all, that's not the real definition of a ghetto. Like a ghetto came from the Jewish background where they're being Absolutely. individuals. Absolutely. In a community, but now it's become this term that you automatically know they're talking about a black, predominantly black neighborhood. Um, and for someone that doesn't look completely like if he doesn't have a button down on or whatever the case may be, then he could easily be a thug just because he's dressed in everyday normal clothing. And so that's why I think that in a lot of ways, black men have it harder because. They truly have to change or code switch in different ways. Like you have to even watch what you wear. And now you have to be careful of putting a hood on your head or having your hands in your pocket. Oh, you have yes. to be aware of all these things constantly because you're automatically seen as a threat. And when you're seen as a threat, people are on the defense. And so they become very defensive. Oh, that's very interesting. And you also see that with the uh... – African Americans are uh, a relationship with the uh, police department in the communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many cases of being, uh, you know, driving while black. Has that happened to you personally? Have you seen that with some of your clients having to change the code? Because how you dress is an indicator, a red flag to somebody who may not even know you and just stereotype you based on the way you dress, like your dreadlocks. Having wearing a hoodie. Oh, he's a thug. All right, let me go see what he's up to. And you know, a lot of people bring their biases to the workplace, and most most definitely police officers do. Tell me your thoughts on that, uh, Doctor Crudup. Um, yeah, I've, it, there have been some cases with clients that have experienced that, and it's so disheartening when a young person comes to you crying and asking, "Why can't they just be themselves?" Um, and you have to tell them in that moment, well, right now it's about survival. Absolutely. You, that's the main thing you have to talk about is survival. Like, yes, there's a time, unfortunately, and a place to be yourself, but this is not it. You have oh. to survive right now. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, we're up to our next break. Hold that thought, uh, Dr. Critter. We'll be right back. This is Game on Business Talk with Dancy Miles. This 
is Gay Bomb Business Talk with DMV Miles, and we're having our discussion on mental health, racism, racial identity at the workplace with our wonderful guest, Dr. Bianca Crudup, founder of Crudup Psychological Services. Dr. Crudup, oh man, we're going to have to bring you back for another show. This is, this is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to come back. It's this is fun. a crazy topic. I mean, wow. Um, what are some of the problems that you've been seeing that's really uh, merging in your practice with some of the people at the workplace? What are some uh, the same prevailing problems that you've been seeing? Um, I would I would say that it's still that authenticity. How can I be me in the workplace? How can I still be myself without being labeled? And it's like walking a tightrope. There's there's so much that you have to consider. And you have to consider, well, is this really you being inauthentic or does this mean that you're you're trying to progress and survive in the workplace? So you, it comes down to some basic principles. Oh, interesting. Do you feel that this is a problem? I think with the older generation, I'm one of the baby boomers, and uh, we were taught that from our parents. Do you, do you see it as a problem with the younger generation, with the millennials? They, don't, they just don't get why you have to do all of these things, you know, the coding, uh, switching up, and those type of things at the workplace. What's been your Absolutely. I think that that's the biggest thing, the generational gap, the difference in terms of how we and older individuals grew up versus this generation coming up. And so it's, it's like a, it's a new phenomenon to them to think that they can't just go from place to place and be the same person. And any other way just means that they're not being real or true to themselves, and that's just not the case. And so I think that sometimes the current generation has this false sense of security and has let their guard down some, and racism still exists. And so when it comes and it's knocking at their door, it becomes an issue. It becomes a surprise, and they don't know how to handle it. It becomes some. It becomes a, um, a stressful situation, depression even that settles in. Have you had some of the issues with your clients that have uh, dealt with some severe racial issues? Like, uh, let me give an example: being followed around in a retail store, buying something, and they're just being like everybody else, and. Uh, the person, you know, calls on the intercom, we got a code three, and you don't realize that you're the code three, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that has happened with, with clients, but I've also experienced it myself, even with me being a doctor, quote, unquote, I've been profiled. I've been followed around the store, and, you know, at some point you want to turn around and say, I can buy everything in this store. Stop following me. How, how have you how have you uh, uh, dealt with that, and how do you tell your clients to deal with that? Because that's a very touchy issue, and it's almost like uh, it's, it goes back to stereotyping. Looking at someone because they're black, oh, they're sinister. They're up to no good. If it's more than two of them or two of them together, they you know they they're up to no good. What is all of this stuff? What when is it going to stop? And how do you deal with it with some of your clients and yourself? What do you do? I think the head on, I will ask a person, are you following me? Is there an Oh, issue? wow. I'm, they, I'm very, very. I know they deny it. Tell me what they say. I got to hear this. <laughs> uh, 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 they stutter a lot, right? They're like, uh, 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 no, no, no. And I said, well, I think you are because I've seen you circle around this area that I'm in multiple times, and this is one huge store that you probably have some other areas you can cover. And then I tell them, you know what, that's okay. I'll go and spend my money somewhere else. Uh, I've heard of uh, African-Americans saying, you know, like yourself, they're a doctor, they're prominent in their career. They'll say, my name is Dr. Such-and-Such. I'll be contacting your corporate office for how I've been treated Mm -hmm. in your establishment. And uh, you have a nice day. I was going to spend money, and you have a blessed day. And, Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting is it's like people are projecting their racial belief systems and stereotypes onto you, and you're not that person. Would you agree with that? What's your thoughts on that? 
Oh, yes. I wholeheartedly agree. That that comes along with the skin color, unfortunately. So people still, no matter who you are, no matter how many degrees, how educated you are, you are still associated with the black stereotype. And quite frankly, I'm not sure where many of them came from in terms of that we're like these and all of that, but um, you're associated with it. You don't get away from it just because you have status. I was going to ask you this. I've been wanting to ask you this, Dr. Crudup. Then there's the other thing about how you talk as African-American. When you talk uh, articulate and you express yourself, I remember I had a white person tell me this. They tell me, why do you use big words like that? I said, excuse me? Well, I mean, you seem like you like to use big words like you're trying to impress people. like, no. I talk like that because I, I read a lot of books and how what I read for my vernacular. And have you seen that with some with, uh, some of your clients? Like uh, the racial talk goes along with the racial coding as well. Um, talking black, or when you when you if they don't believe you, or they don't believe you're black. What's been your experience with that? Oh, that has absolutely been a problem because a lot of the young people that come to me are very educated, and so they speak in such a way, and so they have people that come up to them that they're like, oh, my gosh, you're so articulate, and it's like, well, what does that mean? Did you not expect that? Oh, man, like you speak so well. I've heard that, oh, my goodness, so many times. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! Yes, it's, uh, it's still very much a thing. How do you how do you give them a coping strategy with that? What do you tell your clients? Well, how have you dealt with it? Well, um, again, me being more more head on, I would say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and usually, people start stumbling because they don't know how to answer that question. How am I supposed to sound? Oh and my goodness! They don't know how to answer that, and then you just politely walk away. Tell me, tell me, you get this all the time. You're not from here, are you? They talk, They ask oh my you. Mhm. That's why I had to. That well, not I had to, but I switched up how I spoke because when I was talking like someone from Mississippi, people were like, "Oh my gosh, where are you from?" What are you saying? <laughs> and oh. I said, okay, this ends here. And so I had to start speaking and enunciating differently. But if I go back home to Mississippi with my family, you wouldn't understand half of the words coming out of my mouth. Oh, wow. Oh, so you have your professional face. You have your personal family face, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm using it right now. <laughs> <laughs> So so when they say when they talk to you that way like well you sound so articulate what what are, what are, what are the people really saying to you when they say that is that almost an insult tell me your thoughts on that Dr. Crow. Yeah it's basically saying that you're not the typical negro Oh wow Oh my Yeah Oh wow That's what that sounds like to me is that almost like you uh, be a credit to your race? <laughs> I don't know if you remember me used to say that. <laughs> I never understood what that meant. You heard that before from your parents. Well, that's a credit to your race. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> I know. I never really got it. I'm like, um, okay, sure. But, yeah, it, it happens. Um, I've even been called once where some – older, non-black woman came up to me and said, you're a cute little colored girl. Oh, my said, goodness. Oh. oh, okay. So when you still have individuals that think like that and they pass their ideas down generation from generation to generation, those things are going to continue to be alive and well. Racism is going to continue to be alive and well because the older generations are teaching the newer generations. I totally agree with you, and I even take this a step further. Also, those old stereotypes that you had about a certain ethnic group, they die off eventually because they because 
we have social media and we have uh, uh, free access to media. And when people see for themselves how people are as opposed to how what the stereotype is, it makes them, you know, there's also a cognitive distance there like you were talking about earlier. How people act and what I think about them is two different things, isn't it? Yes, but then I think that there's also what I tell people, you see what you seek. And so if they are expecting someone to perpetuate a stereotype, that's what they're going to look for. So they're going to negate all the things that they see that go against that stereotype. But that one person that does perpetuate that stereotype, see, I told you, and that then it, it confirms their bias. So I would like to see the workplace that too, don't they? Helpful. They do that at the workplace mm-hmm. too, don't they? Mm-hmm. I see. I told you he couldn't handle it. I see you. You put an African American person there, they can't handle stress. I remember it used to be a stereotype about um, when they used to play basketball games. They said African American athletes couldn't handle the stress of the game, and if you down by ten, you put them in the fourth quarter. And I mean. Do people really believe some of these outdated uh, Neanderthal stereotypes? Because they still must sound idiotic to a point. It's like when you believe in a stereotype, you subscribe to a to a a, a culture or a, a institution of being of of, of uh, what's the word? I'm a, I don't want to say idiocy. Uh, institution of uh, just mental. Uh, Health that's just wrong. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, people definitely still believe these old things. Listen, I still will not eat watermelon in public. I I totally yeah. with you on that. I will go to a buffet restaurant. If I do eat it in public, I cut it up a little bitty slice. <laughs> Exactly, because the stereotypes are still out there. Someone is still passing it down somewhere, and it's like, really? We didn't have enough examples to show that this is not the case? But, again, it just takes one. My grandfather told me an interesting story about – no, my father actually told me this story. He said that when they were little, they were were at a carnival or something. He said a, a, a white man came up to my grandfather and want to pay him to watch to uh, watch his sons eat watermelon. Have you ever heard anything like that before? No, never. My father told me he said they're about uh, ten, eleven years old. And he said that my grandfather said my boys don't eat watermelon and walked off. Could you imagine the someone the audacity of somebody doing that? Wow. That is crazy. Wow. Yeah. I believe this was in uh had to be in the either late forties or fifties. I mean the what would make that person think that he was comfortable enough in his racism to do that? <laughs> well well, you know, there are things that are making some individuals very bold. There's a lot going on in the world today that is making a lot of in- individuals bold again and thinking that they can say and, and do certain things. Yes, absolutely. Well, goodness, we're going to have to bring you back, dear. This was like, <laughs> I felt like I feel cleansed talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Cronoff, I really appreciate you being on the show, and I like for for another show we have issues that are in the media and let you dissect them for us because you bring a lot of valuable insight and uh i want to know uh, how can uh listeners get a whole uh, let me ask you this what tips do you want to leave for some of the listeners that talk about uh mental health and racism at the workplace and racial identity what's some tips you want to leave with the audience I think that one thing that's important is to find someone that is like you in the workplace, someone that you can truly relate to and talk about these things because otherwise you will get really frustrated. You have to find someone to vent to and talk about these things so that you don't go off onto the deep end. And if you really do think that you need help, then seek professional help. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Oh, um, interesting. Uh, how do people get in contact with you? I'm sure you're going to get a lot of emails. <laughs> how do people get in contact with you? <laughs> um, well, they could either call at 386-243-9220 or go to my website, Crude Up Psych Services. That's C-R-U-D-U-P. P-S-Y-C-H services.com. Awesome. Dr. Critter, thank you so much. We This is an awesome show today. I want to thank you for joining us and uh, uh, definitely, definitely want to, want to talk about bringing you back for some uh, for another show uh, if you're interested. But uh, this was a great show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Well, that's our show. We want to thank uh, Dr. Bianca Critter, founder of Critter, Psychological Services for joining us today. Well, that's our show. We're out of here. That's our show for today. This is Game On Business Talk with Dempsey Miles. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Game On Business Talk with Dempsey Miles. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to Game On Business Talk Radio with host D. Anthony Miles.